has been shot twice. Ian was very an anxious that morning. Some kind of sixth sense, I guess. He pulled the weapon on us. Jan jumped over the boat, pushed one of them. And when I jumped, I got shot uh, in the arm. And then we wrestled with him under the water. And he gave us the, the same comment that everyone gives you. <laughs> Somebody will kill you downstream. But that was, uh, we heard that all the time and we'd stopped believing it. People do disappear out there. We hear this engine approaching us from the rear. Get showing any reason of why he's approached us, just kind of uh, looking, looking at our kit sussing us out. Just produced a 9mm pistol from, from his shorts and then another uh, jolt goes through my body and I've got to be shot again in the, in the knee. Being a former Royal Marine is one thing, but doing an expedition through the Amazon rainforest and getting shot twice is another. This is the story of John Bathgate. My name is Harrison Brown and this is the It Is The Night Podcast. If you're watching or listening, So how did that work in terms of funding this? Who did you reach out to and then who got back to you? Was it your friend group first? We reached out to, oh, off the top of my head, it was a lot of um, media companies. We reached yeah. out to BBC. We were wanting to um, film it and, and yeah. get get funding that way. That felt like a, the most realistic way to get funding would be uh, doing it that way. That didn't work. Um, we had a few uh, different... Um, production companies interested one of them came on board and then kind of uh fell away basically mm -hmm. they were based down south um so we flirted with that it didn't really work um and then i was literally just sending blind emails out to yeah. airlines to um lots of different companies and we had we had tyso um and we didn't want to well, it, it was kind of respectful not to then go for other clothing brands. So yeah, there's kind of a, like an exclusivity offer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they were, they were, they were. It was Tyso's Summit to See Adventure, really, and then mm -hmm. it could have been financed by any other um, business that wasn't outdoor mm -hmm. retail. So, and how much did you need to raise for that expedition? Uh, it's still kind of up in the air. <laughs> we should have raised more because we sh we needed guides, and we didn't. Yeah. We couldn't afford guides in the end. Um, we didn't need guides to nav. We needed guides uh, to go into communities, and it would have made passing yeah. our way down the river a lot easier. And and the, our biggest problem was um, indigenous people not trusting us because historically wow. Westerners are bad news for indigenous mm -hmm. uh, for all the wrong reasons. Um, and we couldn't afford guides. We were skint by the time we had everything that we needed to just about do it we were totally skint in it but we were self-sufficient so yeah we were able to to continue but um ideally if we needed 50 grand would have been probably the number Covered to, it. to do it comfortably with yeah. with guides so. so so you're traveling through the amazon rainforest with no guides i've been to the amazon rainforest mm. everything wants to kill you yeah. <laughs> like yeah. i was looking up before this there's there's poison dart yeah. frogs that within three minutes of touching them, you're dead. Um, and I, I was in the Amazon rainforest and I, I saw this and my pal Gregor was like, oh, look, there's a frog. Let's go. I was like, don't touch that. Yeah. Don't be an idiot. What, why the Amazon rainforest? Why did you want to do the expedition through this path? Was it a world's first in terms of what you were trying to do? Yeah, uh, gray area as well. So the Chimborazo, the mountain that we started on, is mm. the highest place on the planet. Um, again, I don't know if, if we've started or yeah, 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 we, we have, yeah, 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 you're all good. <laughs> so just kidding. Yeah, 
That was quite naturally done, well done. <laughs> so, sometimes it's good because yeah. you just turn the cameras on and yeah. just and then just yeah. <laughs> just kicks off. Because <laughs> yeah. this bit uh, definitely needs to be explained, I guess. But Chimborazo so, uh, is the highest point on the planet mm-hmm. um, in in a special sort of way. Mm-hmm. Everest is obviously the highest um, mountain above sea level, but Chimborazo's summit is the furthest point on Earth from the Earth's center because the Earth is slightly excuse me, slightly oval, and it's right on the equator, and it's squashed out at the equator. So right. that was the draw, was that the highest point on Earth is also a source of the Amazon River. And the Amazon River is by far the greatest river on the planet. Mm. It expels more water than the next, uh, more fresh water into the oceans than the next seven largest rivers combined. So huge, wow. hugely, uh, a, a huge river, and the biggest on the planet. Uh, and... It was a world first to make that journey the, the entire way. Lots of people have, have traveled down the Amazon from different routes mm. uh, as far back as 1542, I think, the first uh, Francisco de Orellana, Orellana the, uh, for one of the first Spanish conquistadors in, in the yeah. continent, which is an amazing story in, on its own. Um, so people have been traveling down the Amazon uh, for years and years, but nobody had done it from the top of Chimborazo, and that was yeah. uh, very captivating um, to, to be, I, I wanted to uh, plan it and do it with, with my team. Your dad was also an explorer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. climber, um, but he he did, yeah, some great trips exploring as well. He mm-hmm. he went down the Amazon from uh, the Huayaga tributary, mm-hmm. uh, coming back from a, an expedition in the Cordilla Blanca region of the Peruvian Andes, uh, which, and the, uh, what was the mountain called again? Hondai. They were, he was leading an expedition on Hondoi and then travelled back through the Amazon. And mm-hmm. on that trip, he uh, had had the idea for for Summit to See and heard about Chimborazo being the highest source. And, and uh, it was him that actually got me on to thinking about it. And, and after he explained it to me, he was 80 mm-hmm. years old at that point and couldn't do it himself. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you yeah. think you inherited that, the kind of explorer vibe from your parents? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, up, out, up in Scotland, climbing yeah. as a youngster, uh, going on you know hill walks with my dad and uh, some pretty good adventure holidays as a kid. Yeah. Um, but I never, I wouldn't say I ever got into climbing in a big way. Mm. Like I don't, I don't, wouldn't say that I'm a climber. I'm a bit of an all rounder. I do a bit of everything. But yeah. um, he was a brilliant climber. Um, yeah. And Ben and I both, my, my older brother, kind of did bits and bobs of everything, but didn't really hone in on one uh, specific yeah. skill I guess um, and so you, you start <laughs> this is insane to me so, so you go to the, the Amazon rainforest Where do, where's the start point and where's the finish point so the start point is the summit of Chimborazo so summit in Chimborano and finish point's the sea finish point's the mouth of the Amazon Belém the mouth in itself is crazy there's an island roughly the size of Switzerland within the mouth so you can imagine it spreads wow. out you, you've been there. You've, you, you know what geographically yeah. the size of that river is. It's huge. Um, but we were going to the south of the mouth, um, Belém in Brazil. Okay. Okay. Got you. And how long is that stretch? So the whole distance uh, is five thousand one hundred twenty-eight kilometers. And you were doing that without a guide. Yeah, most of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is what. Okay. Yeah. So the mountain we had guides for, and we yeah. uh, we had uh, guides initially down a very dangerous part of the Pastaza, mm-hmm. a white water um, guide on there. And then we met 
an indigenous guy in Copataza, which took us over the border into Peru. Uh, Is that just coincidence? You just met him and he was a, a lovely bloke. And he yeah, did uh, he did. He did charge us uh, a lot more probably than than we could afford, but um, it was required. When that was our that was us leaving Ecuador, leaving the roads, leaving civilization, and going down the first part of the river where. It was a step that we couldn't take back. We wouldn't have been able to travel back up river. So mm-hmm. it was good to have a guy that wanted to come down with that initial bit with us. And, and he knew the route. And he, he knew the route. Um, the route is pretty easy because we were following the flow of water. So mm-hmm. uh, there are tributaries that lead to nothing and you have to backtrack. But if you're staying in the main flow, the navigation of it is, n- is actually not that difficult. And then the, gar- the Garmin devices as well yeah. were... Um, you know, really important for us to be able to nav. Having said that, the river is always changing, and mm-hmm. one tributary can dry up, and and you go halfway down it, and and it won't be there anymore. And so, another opens up. Yeah, so you do need to watch the flow. So ha- having him there with with that knowledge was great, and but also his knowledge with the indigenous people, speaking with the communities and letting them know that we weren't a threat. Um, that the people hadn't seen. Uh, people that looked like us for for mm. decades uh, in points. So just just entering a village was was uh, weird, stressful, weird, dangerous. Yeah. Um, so having a guide for that was was really handy. And when we didn't have guides for that, it got um, very difficult for us later yeah. downstream. Yeah. So so take me through that. So that obviously there's this insane point where you you come up against essentially a drunk pirate with a gun. Mm. But the the steps before that. So you described. You've essentially got a guide for the start-ish. Mm-hmm. The, the guide drops off. Where are you sleeping? What are you eating? Like, g- give me a day in the life. What are you using the Garmin watch for, did you say? Was it navigation kind of thing? Mostly navigation and yeah. also... Uh, uh, what's the... Um, some reason my brain has gone to pot. Ha- heartbeat monitor. Not the heartbeat. Uh, just track. So tracking yourself. So right. see, yeah, we've got a really great picture of of all the different points of what we've done, and uh, you can see campsite, whatever it was called, campsite, whatever it was called, and the route in between, and and each each route is dated as well. So um, that's all done on the watch. That's all done on the watch. Really? Uh, we also had a backup on the. Uh, Mini InReach 2, which is the satellite communicator, which ended up being very handy when we had a, an emergency later down the line. But yeah, the, the watch was able to track uh, distances, times, dates, places we stayed. Uh, also, we had a scientific aspect where we were taking sound recordings, listening out for the poison dart frog um, that you were mentioning earlier, because that species... Um, is an indicator species, so if it's present, it, sh- it can tell you things about the, the health of the water. And if it's polluted so, or not. Yeah, exactly. If it's if it's overly polluted, it, the frog might not be there. And we were doing these listening devices every day, uh, and we could record exactly where they were taken, and that's that's needed for it to be an official scientific document. You need mm-hmm. you need all that information. So you need like evidence, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. <clears throat> what was it like? Sleeping next to frogs that could kill you within three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> three minutes. So where yeah. did you sleep? We bar- I mean, we barely saw any frogs. To be honest, you, you've seen them yourself. Probably they're, they're absolutely like tiny. Yeah, they're, they're li- literally like a five p or two p coin. Yeah, and they're just for the, the kind of people that are listening. They're either bright yellow, I think they're blue or orange. Yeah, and 
they're essentially just don't touch them. <laughs> yeah. If it's if it's colourful, stay away from it. Probably yeah. Yeah. apart from some of the fruit, which was delicious. But yeah. yeah, you just need to know somebody that, that can tell you yes or no. But the the wildlife, um, a little bit disappointing, I guess. We were on the main river the whole way, so mm-hmm. it's like being on the M twenty five or whatever. It's a huge huge uh river and that's where all the traffic is because there's no roads out there so all the all the traffic are boats on the rivers so because we were our expedition was following the main flow we rarely saw uh some of the a lot of the animals that you'd think about in the amazon which actually live deep in the rainforest so Mm. um lots of dolphins which were great to see and a few snakes but blind dolphins when they're are they pink yeah pink dolphins yeah that's crazy yeah they were they were awesome yeah Yeah. we when when i was in the, the amazon rainforest we were meandering down this river, not the main river. It was very, very smooth and um, very tranquil comparison to your trip. Mm. <laughs> but we got to this huge meander. By the way, there's tons of caiman in the water. Like you yeah. can see them on the bed. Yeah. And the guy goes jumping and we we're like, absolutely not. And he's like, no, 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 seriously. The dolphins put, it, put out sonar that mm. scares the caiman away because this is their area. Yeah. But they're blind. So what they do if they're curious is they'll come and bang into you. But you have no way of telling because the w- water's so murky. Yeah. What's a caiman and what's a dolphin? Yeah. So essentially, you need to jump off this boat, swim, and then all of a sudden you just get like banged yeah. by <laughs> by a dolphin. <laughs> so you see these dolphins. You're going down the river. At what point do you say we need to camp for the night? And, and where do you camp? Is that in the mm. forest? Yeah. Um, usually, it was in communities. Mm. So we'd approach communities. And let them know that we were coming by because if we didn't do that we get we would be forcibly taken into communities uh, which happened twice so we learned to always sort of respectfully go in and ask if, if we could pass and then they would always um, recommend that we stay with them or we stay in the next community downstream and they would say it's unnatural for you to stay in the forest mm-hmm. um, and we were really grateful of their hospitality and allowing us to stay but also it was very time-consuming continuously meeting new communities and and uh, we had a, a schedule to keep to so at points we just wanted to you know get our hammocks up in the in the forest and get going first thing in the morning so sometimes we'd stay in the forest sometimes in communities but generally there's a you pass one community or two communities daily yeah. so and how, how would you did you have a translator no very badly uh, google translate on the phone and we picked up a, a little uh, Spanish be- between the group, but yeah. it was difficult actually. That was that was the main downfall of the team was we didn't have a, a fluent speaker. Yeah, and even a, a fluent speaker might not have um, been that helpful over there because it's, it's different dialects of Spanish as well. So if we had a, I mean, it would have been a lot more helpful than yeah. the Spanish speaker. <laughs> That's what I'm Hola, yeah. <laughs> Hola, yeah. <laughs> amigo. <laughs> That's it, yeah. So. so you're in kind of hammocks with, I'm guessing, just kind of like mozzie nets. Yeah. And did you ever hear anything during the night? I mean, I mean, the, the creatures in the rainforest are wildly beautiful, but beyond scary. Did you ever hear anything? I know that when I slept in Peru, there was like fireflies going around and you could hear tons of noises. Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you thinking monkeys? You got leopards? Yeah. We, one of the first nights in the rainforest, we were hearing these, I think it were howler monkeys. There were something different to the to the normal insects yeah. and uh birds that you hear um but I, yeah i was always really comfortable with those noises uh, i never heard anything like 
that sounded big. big up close. So that would have probably been scary. But um, nah, yeah, that was really, really nice. I initially thought the because the insects are so loud that that was going to keep me up. But um, yeah, uh, we were quite, quite um, fortunate, I guess, that no jaguars sniffed us out and wanted to have a I, bite. I suppose it's kind of like the the you get used to. The environment that you're in so after like two to three days of sleeping with these insects and, and whatever it might be you're, you kind of get used to it and then mm. your brain kind of adapts to it mm. there's a really cool thing uh when when people stay in hotel rooms half of their brain actually stays more awake than the other part because it's an unfamiliar unfamiliar oh, yeah. environment uh, and it's like a, it's like a defense response so that if you're in an unfamiliar environment your, your safety you, you wake up faster mm. um but after three to four days, that kind of starts to fade away. So almost being in that environment with these loud insects and all that kind of stuff, after three or four days, you're, you're normally okay. Yeah. You're normally fine. Did you feel you slept a lot better when you were on this expedition than you did back home? Yeah. And that's par- probably partly because the days were so long. Mm-hmm. Long long days paddling, you're, you know really exerted by the end of it um sweating a lot so you're just naturally tired anyway but then being out in the forest is quite nice Mm. you don't have the stress of like a thousand emails tomorrow morning um you just have one job so you're at you kind of are at peace um being on an expedition like that you just know what you need to do but then at the same time every single day that you go to sleep it's somewhere new and there's a new risk and a different danger and new so new noises going on yeah yeah so it um i did sleep better though i'd say yeah, yeah. despite despite the sort of uh, d- other challenges and the, the different risks reason that re- it's a kind of a weird question to ask to be honest the, the the reason i ask that is whenever i'm traveling uh, for photography and videography i always sleep 10 times better hmm. and i'm still working i'm st- still doing the same thing but there's something about being in the road being outside it's really therapeutic yeah and obviously we'll feed into that and to the charity aspect but i think that is a, a genuine thing just being in nature yeah going for a walk no matter what how small or, or, or where you are is really amazing for your brain mm-hmm. and the, the, i don't know what chemicals it releases and all that kind of stuff but it helps everything i mean it helps your mood it helps your sleep it helps the way things taste when you're outside drinking water when i'm sure you were sweating in the amazon mm. rainforest i'm sure you were like wow this tastes so much better than normal <laughs> yeah even though it's the same in essence yeah no I, I i agree with that point but in that specific example it's not true because everything we had to drink was chlorinated so oh no <laughs> i know what you mean like if you're on a mountainside yeah and you're, you're sipping from a mountain stream it's like yeah the whole n- natural experience is better and it's what we're built for yeah and i, I agree with you 100 percent. i think probably a big reason for uh, mental health and depression is because people don't have enough interaction with nature so i'm I'm with you i think that if you look at the the age of social media tiktok instagram youtube youtube short i I could go on and on and on people are so glued to their phones that they don't actually get natural light Mm. and i think a lot of it is to do with natural light having their circadian rhythm in check by natural light and not thrown off by all these blue light things that go on. Did, did you have your phone and signal when you were in the rainforest? No signal, but had phones. Um, yeah. Some of the communities would have internet. Mm-hmm. So we were trying to blog, and this, this goes back to what you're yeah. saying there as well. It would have been better just to have no phone, no cameras, and 
from a mental health point of view, just to go down without screens would have been the best thing. But we were trying to blog it, so in the hammock at night, I'd be trying to edit um, videos from the day together and, and make little blogs for our Instagram page, which yeah. were very important because people were following us and wanted to, sh you know, the whole idea for the expedition was to sh show people and report back what we were seeing as well. So, but it was, just, I was still in that same cycle. home cycle of being on social media. Mm, it's interesting. When we, I was in the Amazon. Oh, I, can't I was quite young, like nineteen, and it was. I had no signal, and my battery died. And you know, you get those block chargers. Mm -hmm. They're like yeah. big bricks, and they essentially just carry electricity. And that died as well. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to leave my phone for four days. Best mm -hmm. four days I've ever had. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> no, like legit. Yeah. Like I was fishing in the Amazon rainforest with my pals. Every now and again, I'd go eat and then I'd go to sleep and then I'd get up and go for a walk and see the animals and yeah. have a beer. And, and that was it. And life is so simple. And it's like, <clears throat> that is what we are missing. We're missing the simplicity, I think, in life mm -hmm. now. So you have this kind of quite chaotic, you, you, you go to sleep, you edit, you blog, you're then, you know, putting chlorine in your water. What, what did you eat? Was it microwave, not microwavable? Like friable bags? Yes. Um. This podcast is brought to you by Garmin. It's an exciting day. We have a brand new sponsor. Garmin played a key role in literally saving John's life. And that's not something that you can say every day. If you are interested in your fitness and your health and progressing yourself, then Garmin is the brand for you. Are they the bags that you pop and they? No, so the, these were just freeze dry rations. But the, I can't remember. I'd like to name drop the company, but I can't remember them now. But we, Tyson, give us a huge box of freeze dry rations, and you just add water, uh, add boiling water, and it's and it's a meal good to go, full mm. of calories. Um, but that we couldn't take seven months worth of that. So mm. as we went on, they were then buying bags of rice and fruit. Um, there was a point. Uh, we were stuck on a barge and we were eating the, the food that the guys on the barge were, were making. And that was what I imagine people used to eat in the old days, like smoked, half rancid pork. Like oh. just, you could smell the rot, but it was so salted and so smoky that it was, you know, just about edible. And like oh my God. Anything really. And, we, you know, we were hungry at that point. Um, and, and also I was in this mindset where I'd just eat everything because mm. you'll, your stomach will get harder quicker. Um, did you have any issues with food poisoning? We, we, all, we all did uh, a couple of times. And, and then towards the end of the trip, we were all pretty pretty hard um, stomach-wise. So it does work, but you just have to get through a few. The first. I've been recently blogging about the all the toilet troubles of the Amazon. <laughs> like, some people like it, some people don't. But yeah, you're going to get sick out there. Yeah, like, yeah. I remember there was a, I was in Bolivia and I was in the middle of like literally nowhere. And uh, we were at this <clears throat> coffee place. It was like literally a shack in the middle of Salt Flats. Like I'm talking, there's nothing around for miles. And we're in the shack and my pal Andrew looks to my right and he goes, you do realize that's like, that's that influencer. And I'm like, no way, no way. So I look them up and sure enough, they've got like 3 million followers each, yeah. big influencers. And all of a sudden I start feeling like pretty, pretty woozy. And I'm like, shit, mm. I, I need to go to the toilet right now. <laughs> so I run to the toilet toilet has a do not come in like like you essentially blocked off the toilet yeah. so i rip open the toilet I'm like, i can't there's nowhere else around <laughs> went into the toilet <clears throat> closed the door tried to lock it but just pretty much shoved up a bin against it tried to flush the toilet after everything's gone down won't flush i'm like fuck. and then 
I get a knock on the door, I open the door and it's that influencer that's yeah. got like 4 million followers and I'm like, I'm so sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the toilet is horrendous. <laughs> so find another one. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you need to go in the salt flats. Yeah. Uh, so you, you're still going along this river. At what point did the pirates come in and how did that go down? Because that seems pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Um, that was right, well, obviously right at the end. That sort of ended our first attempt at this expedition. Uh, so that was the 30th of July this year. Um, and we had um, summited Chimborazo, come down some really amazing parts of the Andes through through uh, different tributaries, um, onto the Pastaza, into into Peru from Ecuador, uh, eventually to Iquitos. Um, and in Iquitos, we'd rested for a while and then moved on to and started stage four, which was uh, going to take us to Manaus, which is mm-hmm. the capital of the Brazilian Amazon. And uh, in Iquitos, we'd built our two canoes, which were separate canoes, into a catamaran. So we'd found some local wood and, and made this cool catamaran called the Laura Joyce um, with a, a hinged mast and centerboard and everything. <laughs> so we were mega proud about that. And then we were about four days into the stage four, enjoying ourselves, working really well together. It was only Ian and I at this point. The rest of the team had uh, flown back to the UK. And um, we knew the risks. We knew that we were going into pirate area. We'd we'd befriended, um, we'd made lots of friends in Iquitos, including um, Peruvian Navy guys um, and uh, the British consulate and former former Peruvian Navy guy that was that was helping us as well. Uh, so we were we were prepped for it. We knew the risks, um, but we'd done everything we could do, and we set off downstream. <clears throat> And we passed a place called Pebas, stayed there uh, the night before and it had a bit more of an unfriendly vibe to it than, than we'd had in other places. Uh, we weren't getting waves back from anyone, um, everyone kind of avoiding us when we were coming into town instead of coming to, to meet us. So I think these guys that eventually approached us the next day have probably heard about us at that point um, mm-hmm. and seen that we're only two. Um, but we got up at five... 5am uh, the following morning uh, we'd stayed with a nice guy in his in his uh, there's basically petrol stations floating on the sides of the rivers there where people come and fill up their fuel and yeah. this guy let us ha- hang our hammocks in his fuel station and he gave us the the same comment that everyone gives you <laughs> when you're doing that is somebody will kill you downstream but mm-hmm. um, that that was uh, we heard that all the time and we'd stopped believing it um, it's, it's just kind of um, banter almost between them like oh, you'll, you'll probably die <laughs> so we're like yeah same same story again but Ian uh, was very an- anxious that morning um, some kind of sixth sense I guess and what do you know by half past eight uh, we'd been paddling yeah a couple hours um, we hear this engine approaching us from the rear and they approach uh, get to about 100 metres away and then they stop um, and we're kind of looking at them and they're looking at us and then they approach a bit closer to maybe 50 metres the engine stops again and um, I think I just waved them over it's like they're obviously coming towards us um, it's a two kilometre wide river here and there's nothing, nobody else the around, so, around you, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we waved them in and then they came alongside uh, a couple of young lads um, 
one of them uh, clearly drunk um, and not really get showing any reason of why he's approached us, just kind of uh, looking at looking at our kit, sussing us out. Um, and that interaction was maybe six or seven minutes. Um, and then eventually his craft sort of manoeuvred around the back of our craft and we were sort of fed up with him at this point. And we're going, it's half past eight, we've got a long way to go. Uh, his only thing was offering us some homemade alcohol, which, you know, half eight in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm Scottish, but not that Scottish. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we got we got fed up with him. We're going to go. Um, and he stood up and he was behind us. And we both kind of stood up and then he just produced a nine mil pistol from, from his shorts uh, and kind of was about to point it. And Ian, uh, great move with his paddle, just thrust it in the guy's chest and kind of put him off balance. Um, which, and I've been asked quite a lot of times, was that the right thing to do there? And I fully believe that it was, and so does Ian. Um, we could have put our hands up and they might have taken everything and we might have been allowed to go, but we also might have just been executed and people do disappear out there. And yeah. uh, if they executed us, they could definitely keep our kit because we're not going to then go to the police. So oh, the best thing for them to do would have been execute us execute us and take our stuff so the fact that Ian didn't allow that to happen um, was definitely the right move in, in both of our eyes and it allowed me to basically charge the guy before he could then get a, an aimed shot um, away and uh, he did get two shots off and one of them missed and the second one hit me in the shoulder here and uh, then the next thing I knew, I was in the water under the canoe. <laughs> the, the force kind of just... I don't know. I don't know if I bailed or uh, if the force took me in. I don't think the force would have taken me in, but I I'm not sure. Yeah, I, the there's like clear points of that f fight and there's automatic points where everything's a bit hazy. Mm. Uh, like I can't remember physically thinking I'm going to charge this guy. I just... Next thing I'm sort of in his face and, and he's shot me. And then I was under the boat uh, going. But when, when we'd previously been approached by uh, armed men, and, and another example, which didn't go badly, um, we had agreed that the best thing to do if we really do get attacked is to try and capsize their boats because quite a lot of the locals are afraid of the water, for one. We're good swimmers, uh, both of us, and it just seemed like the only way we, we could deal with a lot of guys against just two of us would be to, if we can get their boat over and they're all in the water panicking, we can escape that way. So that was Ian's plan, was to hit him with the paddle, and he dived straight into the water to, to then come up and try and uh, capsize. capsize the boat. Uh, so when I'd been then under the water, he's um, come up, from his from his uh, dive, and they've been fighting on the sides of the canoe, and uh, that's the point where I've because I've I've been under the boat, knowing full well that I've just been shot and uh, a bit shocked, mm -hmm. and I'm the only thing in my head was, in fact there was two things in my head. One was which side do I come up on? Because assuming he's going to be standing, just waiting for my head to come up, and then he can do that. But the thought in my head was I had this flash of Ian lying face down in the water like he'd been shot and I didn't know where the first shot that had gone had if it had hit him or, or what so and then I f felt this thrashing and I came up um, 
and Ian and the guy were sort of wrestling on the side of the boat. Um, and I don't remember this bit, but Ian said, I've just come up and grabbed the guy and plunged him under the water. Um, I've probably got 40 kilograms more weight than this this like pretty small guy. So I just started swimming straight down with him. Uh, it didn't feel like it was any effort for me at all. Uh, and then another uh, jolt goes through my body and I've got been shot again in the in the knee. Um, and at that point, uh, yeah, just went into like automatic disarm mode and mm-hmm. kind of gone down his arm and found the weapon and twisted it, twisted it out of his hand and then fired another couple of shots. And then on the third, it's the weapon's jammed, mm-hmm. thankfully. Um, kicked back and surfaced and kind of been surfaced with the with the, the young lad and kind of looked at each other for a second and he looked pretty afraid and I was like pumped because I, I had the weapon I was like this is great we're we're, we're safe <laughs> like uh, and then Ian shouted me and I snapped into back into real life and we just swam like hell back to uh, our canoe and jumped in um, and I was still thinking there was a, it was a small pistol I was not really all that sore uh, and still wondering, you know, if it was a, a proper weapon. Um, and then yeah, Ian saw the exit wounds on it coming out my back, and and another one here. So we realised it was quite serious. And oh but goodness. then we also realised that it wasn't arterial bleed or anything like that. So and I was still able to function. So quite um, he he kind of took charge there and uh, started doing the med side of it. And mm-hmm. we made a plan to paddle as far as we could to the as fast as we could to. Uh, a community down on the south bank uh, called Trianfo and um, as my arm started getting less and less we then remembered we've got these Garmin devices we'll we'll send out the SOS's um, and yeah that was it we got got into shore and the people oh were gosh. friendly there yeah. really really friendly and took, took care of us so. so did they help you as soon as you landed they knew you yeah yeah, yeah. We, we were coming in we were, the, the river was quite fast so we were in danger of getting swept past the village so we we're shouting ayuda ayuda which is help um and then two of them came out just to get us in the last sort of 20 meters and but on we were pretty fearful on our way down to that community because we didn't know if these guys were had come from there. They walkie talkie ahead. Yeah, they might. Have, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they would have had friends in that community. Yeah, because uh, they only know within maybe three or four communities of each other. They're all going to hang out with each other. So, but we saw women and kids um, on the bank, and yeah, they were really nice, really nice to us. Yeah. Um, and then due to the amazing piece of uh, technology, the satellite communicator, Garmin Mini InReach 2, if anyone uh, is thinking of doing an expedition. we I was able to text for help on my phone, uh, instant help, no no phone signal, no internet, obviously, this through a satellite, and the emergency SOS response that, that Garmin used, um, we're then able to liaise with our uh, emergency contacts with they could read the text that we were sending to our friends in Akitos and then they could phone those people to to try and help out better. And, um, and we had a huge amount of support from the Peruvian and Brazilian Navy within three hours of the accident happening Jesus. in the middle of nowhere. So Jeez. it's a good kit. Yeah. That is crazy. So do you think it was just the the adrenaline when you when you did get shot, you just 
there was just no feel it. You can't feel it because mm. the adrenaline's going through you so much. Is that? Did, it, did did you feel anything? Did it feel like you've just been jolted? Yeah, it was a a full body jolt. Is how how I've described it. Um, like I knew it was centered sort of somewhere in this area, but uh, I wouldn't like it was just my whole body jolted. Not like oh, I've been shot in the shoulder. Um, and very little pain yeah adrenaline must have done that but also very fortunate that it didn't smash my shoulder or mm. or hit the artery or or hit something like you know snap a tendon which would have been yeah. really painful um just like <laughs> incredibly fortunate both yeah. shots were were pretty much flesh wounds yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting you say that that we had a gentleman on the podcast quite recently called brian wood and he fought at the battle of danny boy he was like this incredible guy like big soldier I'm like, you might know him know of him I've, I've seen some of the the clips from you speaking to him yeah yeah he's, he's an amazing guy and he said at the battle of danny boy they they had to run in essence to find cover and as soon as they hit the cover he said check everyone for blood spots because he said you in, in essence know. you won't feel anything he said but you could be hit shot in mm -hmm. somewhere severe but you just don't know and um, it's so crazy how the body can literally numb you just yeah so you can survive mm -hmm. so you can move on to the next step the body can say you're not going to feel this pain it's gone and then I'm, I'm assuming what three hours later it started to well uh again luckily we were sorted out big time by mnd pharma mnd green pharmacy who had given us uh through liam our, one of the team members uh our doctor made up a really comprehensive first aid kit so before the adrenaline had worn off ian had dived into that and found some strong stuff for me to take so i was never never really that <laughs> sore the whole the whole time you oh. felt better than you do now yeah oh yeah i was like lying in the hammock in that village like yeah on top of the world for for a while so yeah, yeah. and uh so d d because i know that you you were in the navy for uh, sorry the army for nine years marines marines yeah. nine years yeah and then ian was 12 yeah yeah and did you guys get first aid training when you were in the marines almost continuously yeah, yeah. Mm. you're always getting some kind of training um yeah so we knew i wouldn't say we were yeah we were kind of prepared for it we had like sealox gauze and stuff which is you know for packing like explosive injuries and uh, we had all sorts of stuff but we didn't we didn't need to use that much because there wasn't much of a bleed um i wasn't in like severe pain or um you're, i think you're vlogging after it did yeah I see, did i see that so <laughs> yeah i don't want to come across as that idiot that gets the phone out and, <laughs> but because i was sending texts through the through the garmin device mm. and then i had my phone in my hand and we'd been blogging like yeah. other stuff i thought oh, i'll spare a, a minute here the the fight was one like so mm. i've got a, got a minute here to quickly update this yeah. pretty dramatic part of the expedition <laughs> it's a pretty real part yeah. of the expedition yeah. Yeah. wild and have you have you found that there's been more uh, obviously you're 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 gearing up you're prepping up to do this expedition again have you found that there's more interest or more people that have have heard of you after this incident yeah there's more interest um for sure um we didn't do any podcasts before and we've we've done a few podcasts now and we had a, a huge amount of uh newspaper cover initially um but we all of us in the team are pretty terrible at using that interest to then translate into funding or even um get 
getting other people interested to join us or we, we don't know how to navigate that part of it yet and um even on the podcast that we did on tuesday we forgot to like plug say our like website which is the first thing we should be doing really yeah uh, and say that we're still fundraising to go back which we are and i personally would love a company from scotland to come forward and partnership with us um because most of Summit to See has been through Scottish help, and um, but London seems to be more interested, and I wouldn't say no to a great offer from London either. So, um, but right now we're still at a point where we don't um, know really how to move forward in a uh, in the the most efficient way. Yeah, with this this great coverage that we're getting. A lot of the time, I think a lot of the time with these expeditions, there's a, there's this really weird thing where nobody can believe it happened happens until it does mm. and you saw it with nims who did the 14 peaks yeah nobody truly believed that would happen then he did it and all of a sudden everyone was interested everyone wanted to sponsor him and he had to remortgage his house in yeah. order to make yeah. that possible mm. and so many brands they're kind of selfish and they want promotion for free they want big promotion mm-hmm. so the only jump on somebody when they're already at a stage where they're huge or an expedition at a stage where it's highly visible to a lot of people yeah whereas i think they should maybe go the opposite way they should invest in the younger people or the younger uh, expeditions and the, the kind of fresh ideas and then that could lead to something down the line yeah because to these these kind of younger expeditions so to speak if you want to label them that way ten thousand pounds could mean everything whereas let's say you're going to sponsor nims now you're talking what 500 grand for mm for one sponsorship um which is absolutely wild in terms of the the charity aspect i think uh, going down the mental health route is such an incredible thing and I, I've, I've preached it in so many podcasts have you ever been touched by that kind of mental i know that we talked a little bit about the anxiety part of things mm-hmm. have you been touched by anything like that s- since the shooting as well yeah I, so before the expedition I was like quite very well very confidently thought that the reason for um mental health in especially in males was due to our detachment from the environment uh, from the natural environment or and I also thought for how long have we been uh evolving as as uh, humans and 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 going through like extreme violence quite often within our lives um and we don't have that now because we're safe and that's a great thing but that extreme that lack of extreme violence is also a lack of a lot of adrenaline which i've never felt like until i was in that uh, scrap and yeah i think since that scrap i've not really had any i've just been so chilled and like everything's pretty like good now because <laughs> it's yeah. i guess because i was so lucky but maybe everybody needs a, a boost of adrenaline like that so maybe we need to be a bit less safe um and yeah you, base jumpers can get that but yeah. most of us can't get that so i don't know that i i still think the lack of adrenaline that most of us have is a huge gap in our lives mm-hmm. and it, maybe that is something that leads to uh depression and there's no scientific research for that it's just something that a theory i guess but it it kind of makes sense though and i feel that there's other ways as well to get i mean instead of like base jumping i know that what i do is i go climbing Mm. so i i was shit scared at heights always have been 
I hate heights. Um, I've inherited it from my dad. Yeah. And my pal Andy says, listen, there's a there's a wall, autobeely wall, so essentially you can climb really high, you fall off, but you catch yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah and I'm halfway up this wall and I'm thinking, fucking hell, <laughs> if I fall, I'm going to die. Yeah. But you fall off, you get the adrenaline buzz, and all of a sudden you catch yourself. Yeah. And now I find myself kind of hooked to that. Mm-hmm. And whenever I feel bad, whenever I feel down, work's getting me down, there's too much editing to do, whatever it is, I'll go for a climb. And I'll yeah. be like, I know I'll feel better after it. Yeah. And I think that's, there's the, there's the adrenaline point there's also just basic exercise. Yeah. And I think that that further down the line, if you uh, develop your basic exercise can lead to more adrenaline because you can challenge yourself. I want to run faster than that guy. You get an adrenaline rush when you get there. Mm. Or I want to climb faster than him. You get like that little boost. Yeah. Um, what, what kind of sports do you do? And also, how has the recovery been with the, the shoulder and the leg? Mm. Um sports very briefly um just a little bit of rugby and you lots look like, you look like a rugby lad yeah <laughs> I, I used to love rugby i've not played since covid um and yeah lots of hill walking uh kayaking um and lots of time in the gym to be honest most since since leaving the core and starting planning this expedition almost all of my exercise has been running or gym because i've literally had an hour a day that i can put to that so it's easiest to do it do it in the gym uh and since after the expedition i had surgery to get a nerve graft in the glasgow royal and the plastic surgeons there took nerves out of my the back of my right leg uh, and then put the put the uh don't know what to call them uh, back in the nerves almost the nerves yeah but it's not the nerves it's the bits that the nerves grow through and then they've they've put that pathway back there and now my nerves can grow through that pathway and hopefully reconnect my bicep and then that'll start working again um if everything goes goes well but at the moment can you just not no bicep at all that's just uh uh really yeah so so it's some there's a disconnect here so yeah so the yeah the, the the bullet went through there and there's a nerve which then splits up, up here and mm. it severed the nerve that just goes to this bicep and also it gives me the feeling uh on the like the touch feeling basically to to here so i don't have any feeling here but i can use my my forearm muscles are working but the movement in my bicep isn't working so uh right. once that reconnects hopefully my bicep will come back in but so you can't feel anything from like here apart from the hand you can't really feel yeah everything on the inside is numb but i don't mind That's that because weird. that I can still function. It's the bicep that that I'm annoyed about because yeah. I need that to come back to to be fully functioning to do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you described you were you were doing a pull up, but you can only get to a certain point, and then it just kind of caves in. Yeah. Well, it's still at the stage now where I once I get to a certain point, I just don't want to go any further because mm. it feels like it's gonna put me back, strain something, and mm. um, so. I've just been managing my fizz basically. Like the rowing machine is perfect. Like I can do that movement. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of that and that's great. Mm. Um, you can end yourself in like a minute on the rowing machine if you want to. <laughs> yeah. It's horrible. Uh, and then other weights I've just been taking slowly yeah. um, and I can run now, which is good. good. So. With injuries, you need to be so careful. I was uh, I was doing cable flies in the gym 
and I, I've never had this must be an old age thing I, like, I hit 26 and all of a sudden I start falling to pieces but <laughs> but I was doing cable flies from pretty much the ground so working my upper bicep mm. for some reason I tweaked my back mm. and I, I was with the at the gym with my sister and I started like I was like an old man hunched over walking out the gym like it winded me like yeah. and my sister was like you you look horrendous and I was, yeah my back and then I went back to the gym two weeks later thinking oh I'm, I'm, I feel fine exactly the same exercise exactly the same thing snap my back yeah. and I was like oh my so you need to even if you feel better give yourself two weeks give yourself yeah. a month until it's yeah. fully fully healed have you seen a physio at the moment or um I've, yeah, I mean the NHS were brilliant um, with me with the, with the surgery, and they've there's there's not really much a physio can tell me apart from a few rubber band mm. exercises. But I I haven't yet told them that I think my rotator cuff is damaged, so that is worth going back to see somebody. Yeah. But there's a masseuse near where I live who has sorted out a rotator cuff injury mm. for me before, so. What I need to do is go back to her. Say, <laughs> fix me again. She'll be like, yeah, this one <laughs> exercise that I gave you last time, do that again. Yeah, <laughs> probably, yeah, yeah. Probably help. And circling back to the kind of the, the mental health aspect. So what, what do you think the goals are with the charity? You know, I think that uh, exercise, adrenaline, getting people outside by the sea, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, is such a brilliant, it's not a fix, but it's, uh, it's something that will really help you in the interim. What are your goals with it? Yeah, so Summit to See charity uh, is only a year old and it's not, it's attached, it, basically I've, the expedition is not attached to Summit to See charity. Mm-hmm. So the charitable purposes are to take people from uh, disadvantaged backgrounds and former military into the hills on small expeditions down rivers in the UK from their highest sources. Uh, the expedition Summit to Sea, Amazon Summit to Sea, is separate to that. Um, mm. So our fundraising for the expedition has not been for the charitable purposes of, of yeah. Summit to Sea charity. However, once we have this expedition under our belt, that's where we hope people will come to us because we've talked about mental health but we've also achieved what we've achieved in the amazon uh so we'll be um hopefully trustworthy enough for people to to come to an approach uh and then we can start fundraising for something to see charity and doing doing uh local expeditions in scotland and the uk and then the idea is from that platform to find find potential team members to then go out and do the yangtze and the nile which are the two Mm -hmm. other uh, longest rivers from their highest sources late, later on in the day. Did you so, do DAV in school? Uh, I, I think I attempted bronze and found, <laughs> found alcohol or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> I was, yeah. j- just as you I said. Wish I had, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was great. I, 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 did a, I did gold. Gold, essentially, for those that don't know, is you do four days away and it's a, a kind of like an expedition, but you're you're either canoeing, walking, or there's something else you can do, but we did canoeing and you're essentially canoeing down a river and you're camping each night. One of the best times I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And again, no phones or very little phones. I mean, I think we had them, but we didn't really use them. Yeah. Camping at night, you'd watch the sunset, your uh, you, your rhythm would be back, your kind of circadian rhythm would be back because you'd be adjusting to natural light. Mm. You'd sleep amazingly. You'd get up feeling amazing. You'd have some banter with the boys. You'd get back on the canoe and you'd keep going. Yeah. And I think 
there, there's two kind of prongs to that. One is the exercise thing. Actually, there's three. One is the exercise thing. One is the no phones, but also the kind of community aspect of being with people. So mm. with this charity, would you have people that would be doing it with the gentlemen or ladies that are signing up? Yeah. So uh, like you said, the community, when you toil together or when you work hard together and you achieve something, that's when really nice, successful interactions are made between people. So the important thing would be to set a difficult goal, but to achieve as a team. Um, and yeah, that would be one of the main parts of, of why we'd be getting people together. Um, and I don't know much about mental health apart from my own experiences and some of my close friends. So I'm, we're not, we wouldn't be saying this is going to fix you. Or this is what you need. It's just an opportunity for a bunch of people to get together and do something like that. And we all know that that's really uh, everybody has positive experiences from from that don't they so I, I don't think i've heard one person ever no matter what the weather is in scotland no matter how yeah. cold it is go up a mountain come down and say they haven't enjoyed it yeah even if it's pushing it down with rain yeah. someone will go up and be like you know what it was actually a laugh because yeah. it was so you're sharing that experience with people yeah. aren't you and even when i was traveling or or even when i go film and photography uh, and, and i stay in hostels sometimes some of the hostels are horrendous, right? They're absolutely horrible. But because you're in there with your friends and it's kind of funny because mm. it's so bad and that kind of like, you know when you think you have a problem and you tell your friend and they go shut up and you go, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I should shut up. It's probably just... You need that, yeah. Yeah, sometimes you need that kind of like kick to say life isn't all bad. Mm. Uh, it will get better. And that's what that can offer in essence because you're, you're offering people a kind of, uh, a kind of community that they can do these challenges with so to speak yeah. when is the so you said that you were planning for your next expedition in the amazon when you're when you're fully recovered and you've got mm. that funding is it going to be the same route that you do yep it's going to be starting from where we left off so it's uh flying to akitas four day boat rides down to triunfo that community um ideally we're going to the two pirates, uh, however you want to call them, armed assailants, have been arrested. They're in, in jail, so... So they caught them? Yeah. yeah. Right, okay. So we'd like to go back and interview them and see neither of us really hold a grudge. They're poor guys. They did something stupid, but, uh, you know, maybe they were trying to feed a dying grandparent. Who knows? Uh, so we we want to go in and ask them why, mm. what led them to that, and it'd be a really good study from a social point of view. We all, uh, we, we want to continue with the environmental stuff. We want to raise money for for uh, Rainforest Concern, specifically, uh, who and they're a charity that are, perfect, that are protecting parts of, of the rainforest out there mm. through indigenous um, communities. So there's lots of reasons to go back, but we have to, there's no point in doing Chimborazo again and, and doing the whole route again. We're just going to continue from where we were. It's, we're not bothered about the the world first attempt. And if somebody was to say, you've not done it because you've done it in two halves, we don't really care. We, we want the experiences and we, we want to do the whole route just as, yeah. as you know, for the benefits that it can have for the charities and for us. What was it like when you passed through these communities? Why do you think they were um, kind of hostile, so to speak? Yes, the... I guess um, Westerners have not been, or you know, people 
not from the area have have gone in and been responsible for deforestation uh mining which can create uh pollution and and uh kill people and animals and uh, the people rely on animals so mm. generally people that they don't recognize they don't trust because we 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 could be um a sign of bad things to come and the thing that they thought we were mostly um going to be responsible for was taking their children's organs so i don't know if that is what from a real scenario maybe some doctor at some point mm. had been kidnapping kids and taking their organs uh, but that regardless if if it had ever happened it was a rumor that they genuinely believed and for a long way through peru on the pastaza people genuinely believed that we were going to steal their children's organs what so <laughs> we were fighting against that um yeah and it, it is funny but when yeah. they think that they re- they're probably ready to kill you because at the end of the day they think you're going to be uh yeah doing that so it was very hard for us to persuade a lot of people that we were friendly and and trying to explain an expedition for people that don't ever travel more than a hundred kilometers away from their village is impossible like we're, they don't have a concept of it yeah we're paddling to the oceans like and no you're not you'll die they just don't get <laughs> it did, yeah. after this 100 kilometers it's just black yeah <laughs> just nothing and and quite fearful of outsides that the yeah there's i suppose that lack of of uh knowledge of the outside world can be really good but it can also be create a lot of fear so when we're passing down past some of these villages uh and they see us and we haven't asked for, for permission then they'll send, uh, in one case they sent uh, a canoe full of um, basically most of the village worth of fighting age males with machetes and they've caught up to us and lassoed our boat and dragged us into the side of the river, uh, which was pretty stressful. Jesus. Wondering if we were going to be macheted macheted to death or, you know, try and do that um, capsize manoeuvre that we'd been talking about um, and hauled back to the village uh no idea how this is gonna go um but you can see in people's eyes like the two pirates the eye contact tells you a lot and these these guys weren't um you know they don't have like aggression in their eyes they're shouting they're upset with us being there but there's not like i'm gonna kill you eyes yeah it's more anger it's more more just kind of anger that you're there instead of yeah i'm going to harm you yeah yeah (sighs) that's wild so and I know that we spoke about it a little bit earlier. So there is communities in the Amazon rainforest that you just, you, you can't go to and they have no concept of foreigners at all. And essentially, if you go to these communities, they'll just, they'll kill you. Yeah, I I know that's the case in, um, or I've been told that's the case in this, in Sentinel Island. A few people have washed up there and are, are some American uh religious guy gone to try and convert them and was killed um fairly so like um he could have been bringing the the common cold over there which might have wiped them out so uh i don't know exactly where the tribes in the amazon are and how they might react um but they're all they're all sort of at the end of tributaries way far far away from the main flow because mm-hmm. uh, the main flow is is how goods and 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 tourists are transported up and down so 
um, the people that live along the main floor are used to seeing, um, you know, f foreigners uh, quite often. And then the the path that we took down the Pastaza was not a, a commonly used path. So they were used to seeing local people coming up and down, um, merchants selling things, but they weren't used to tourists coming that way. So we were un we weren't trusted, but we weren't a risk to them. We weren't going to bring them a disease that they hadn't encountered. They weren't undiscovered tribes, basically. Yeah. So, th so these diseases that, for for us, are nothing like the common cold that can p could potentially be fatal for these undiscovered tribes because mm -hmm. they're so cut off from, well, everyone else, so yeah. to speak. That's the fear from the scientists, and I guess they're undiscovered, so we don't actually know what their mm. immunities are like. Um, but it wouldn't be worth the risk, and they're they're protected by law. Like you can't you can't be going near them there to to try and meet them as, as interesting. <laughs> Do an ayahuasca be. ceremony. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the dream. That that would be <laughs> awesome. Did you did you hear uh, Graham Hancock's podcast with Joe Rogan? Yeah, with regards to how the Amazon rainforest. This is just mind blowing. It yeah. used to be a civilization like we've never seen. And mm. they used sonar. I, I, I'll get my dates mixed up. They used sonar and they found these huge sculptures. Uh, and what happened is a Spaniard had gone to visit them and passed around smallpox and killed them all off. Mm. And then all of a sudden the jungle had overgrown this city that was in the Amazon rainforest and nobody knew it was there mm. for hundreds of years. Yeah. Incredible. That, that side of adventure is the most captivating. Like imagine discovering a, an old ruin that, you know, that is the most amazing thought ever to me. Um, and yeah, when the Spanish conquistadors arrived, I think, um, again, not exactly sure on the dates and, and the numbers, but there was, you know, hardly any of them and they wiped out a huge amount of the Incas. Uh, and a lot of that was because of disease. And then that spread through the whole of South America and um, is it not Machu Picchu that was only yeah. sort of recently rediscovered, and it was a, a huge city at one point as well. But there, there are more, yeah. And, and uh, I actually really like um, Hancock's theories, yeah. Yeah. That, but they are theories. Yeah, <laughs> but, the levitation yeah. ones are wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, that that's really exciting. I mean, if, yeah. if I could somehow go from summit to sea to getting on an archaeological expedition in the middle of nowhere that would be the dream life for me that'd be incredible i think i just think it's unbelievable some of the old ways for example the incas they never built paths uh, that didn't go up hills that didn't have a gradient that's like a like a fact they they I don't know if they couldn't or why, but their paths are always on a gradient, either going up or down, hmm. never going flat, yeah. which is wild. Have you ever visited Machu Picchu? No, no. It is something otherworldly. You, you walk, we did the walk, for, uh, I can't remember the two cities, Hydroelectrica to somewhere, to the bottom of the Machu Picchu in essence. And you walk between these huge, massive, it looks like kind of like a almost like rounded mountains but they're so big and they're just sheer rock to either side and you walk through and zigzag your way down and then to walk up Machu Picchu uh, we did the walk up which sucked by the way and the temperature was really difficult but 
you walk up the side and you get to the, the top and you see this huge it's almost like it was a it was literally like a city on top of this one of these massive crater looking things hmm. and it's the most it's in the clouds it's one of the most unbelievable things you need to if you if you can do an expedition up there it's on the list do yeah. that do that <laughs> i have to fly back into lima so we might have to take a bit of a bit yeah. of time prior to the expedition restart to yeah. to see some some cool stuff in peru did you have any altitude sickness <clears throat> when you were up in lima peru yeah yeah uh that was in, in ecuador when we were doing the mountains um we started we we did a pretty good uh mountain plan i guess we mm. climbed riku pichincha uh which is just north of quito and then we went up tangarawa which is increasing in elevation again mm. before doing chimborazo um liam the doctor had given us uh altitude sickness medicine as well i didn't take it because i just felt just like i could deal with it mm. and then when i did summit i decided to take it yeah. i was uh, struggling um but yeah ian unfortunately didn't make it up chimborazo because he got a really bad um chest infection plus on top of alcohol sickness from climbing Tangarawa. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a huge blow for the team man, for him uh, having to basically come to us and say, I can't do yeah. Chimborazo. And it was a, a big team move from him to step back. It was actually probably a harder move to do that than to attempt it and fail. Because um, if he'd failed, we'd have all failed. We'd have all had to come down. Mm-hmm. So he took himself out of that uh, attempt. And, and allowed us to to get up there mm-hmm. um so yeah that was gutting but uh it was a good team move and he wasn't he wouldn't have he, he says himself he wouldn't have um, done it got up at, at, yeah. on that attempt and it can affect everyone differently it's not it wasn't a fitness thing just his his uh at that point his body wasn't wasn't having it yeah and then he went on to i kind of thought i didn't think this of him but in general people maybe if you've got a massive challenge to do and you don't do the first thing that you wanted to do you might then put less effort into the rest of it because it's yeah. you haven't done the whole thing but he um went you know 100 percent into everything else after that yeah he went and, the opposite way yeah yeah so it wasn't and yeah like that's a royal marine commando like that's how they we should all behave like and uh there was no question of whether he was gonna rap like yeah. towards the end <laughs> at yeah, all but yeah. it's just interesting to point out that yeah. yeah it is scary how much of the amazon rainforest is being destroyed daily mm-hmm. uh I, can you look up the stat for that actually Drew? is that right um i think it's i don't want, I don't want to say it's three football pitches a day or something like that or is it more than that it it's a, a lot more than that um, uh, I did have these stats in my head before the expedition. Yeah. There's something the an area the size of Scotland has gone. Like I don't think that's an annual thing, but yeah, you know it's huge, huge amounts. Um, but Lula, the new president of Brazil, is in, which is great. Um, and but then it's it's great for the environment, but then it's taking work away from people that need money in that area. So it's not a a fix that it's a good fix for the environment but it's not a good fix for indigenous communities that rely on logging and some of them do and they're the the bad ones in in our newspapers but actually they're you know they're trying they're trying to feed the family yeah. aren't they I, yeah so i've been uh not to the same extent you at all but to the 
Amazon Rainforest and we stayed with a family that, that went piranha fishing with them and some really lovely stuff. But they're so poor that they, they need, firstly, tourism, but mm-hmm. also logging or whatever it might be. They, yeah. they, they need that. Yeah. And if you can't replace that job with something else, mm-hmm. where are they meant to find money? Did, did yeah. you manage to find yeah. that? So it's 11 million acres of rainforest between uh, Barnes since the beginning of 2023. Jeez, wow. 11 million acres. 11.8 million acres. Since of, the start of this year. Since the start of this year? Yeah. So what's the size of Scotland in acres? <laughs> That's a great question. So 11.8 million acres of rainforest has been destroyed since the start of this year. Yeah. That is horrendous. Scotland Think. 19 so, so half the size of Scotland. So, yeah, has gone. So, yeah. So more, yeah, but slightly more than half the size of Scotland has been destroyed since the start of this year in the rainforest. That is crazy yeah that is unbelievable i think and this is a a resource which is cleaning our air mm. so it's not a south american problem it's a global problem yeah and yeah. um <laughs> as much as i don't want to say this before christmas like <laughs> it's it's our materialism it's it's the west's uh greed you know we we all have to take a little bit of blame for that and, mm. and think of solutions and do our do better and like you know, I'm sure I'm definitely a hypocrite. Like I've, I've been wasteful many times in my life. But hopefully, we can all do a bit more and think about what we're using and do we actually need these things? Yeah. Um, that's the most important message. Yeah. More than mental health, in my opinion, that is the message that we all need to be thinking about. And people seem to avoid the issue until it's so big that they can't avoid. Like you, you saw what happened with COVID. They kind of, they knew it was coming. They all brushed under the rug. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And then all of a sudden it spread everywhere and they thought, shit, I need to, we need to hold our hands up here, lock the country down. See if the scientists put their best people, instead of making space rockets, onto cleaning the environment and Mm. stopping uh, deforestation, stopping this kind of stuff from happening, you'd probably find we'd fix it. But you need to have the money there in order to do it because these scientists want the money because they're being paid a lot for building space rockets yeah um, yeah what humans have done is amazing like i'm sure there's a brain out there that that has a solution but uh i guess that we should all still not presume that somebody else is going to find that solution we should yeah. all be trying to use a bit less anyway because yeah. we do use far too much all of all of us in, in the uk 100 percent, 100 percent I do think though that it does need to come from the top. Yeah, because yeah, popularity needs to change. Like if if the sorry to interrupt, like you're right, it has to come from the top. We need to be sh- sh- no, I don't want to say showing a path, but mm. if if our idols start talking about it and and doing things uh, that are better for the environment, then it, we will just follow suit because everybody likes to to look up to someone and. Um, but yeah, that comes from legislation or, or from people with money yeah. persuading uh, people, other idols to, I don't know, <laughs> that makes sense. No, no, it does, yeah. it does. But it's also not doing it because it's a fashion statement. I think that if you look at Leonardo DiCaprio, he keeps preaching about global warming and it's great because he's got such a big platform to do so. Mm. However, when you see him arriving on his yeah, super yacht, ridiculous. Who, you know, that he's taken a five-day charter to get to the place he needs to be he's you know it's kind of hypocritical Mm. and i think that 
yeah, like there seems to be a thing nowadays where things have become fashionable to do it and you become popular on social media to do it. Mm. For example, uh, this issue of, of, of global warming, but people don't practice what they preach. Yeah, greenwashing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get people like Leo DiCaprio, by the way, beautiful guy, stunning guy, but yeah. <laughs> he, he's kind of hypocritical in the, the sense that he's chartering this, you know, multi-million pound super yacht across the world mm-hmm. and then coming to green event rallies. It's like... Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that was <laughs> something that he did. That's mental. Yeah. It's where it's the, dis- yeah. the disconnect. I mean, I suppose the net benefit of him being so pro uh, you know, fix the world is that he's got such a big platform. Mm. However, uh, it is just that it's a little bit like I find it anyway a little bit hypocritical. Mm. You should always lead from the front and try and do things yourself, um, because in essence, like we've only got one world. And yeah. It's gonna go. It's gonna go. And did you watch David Attenborough's program regarding the sea and fishing? Uh, is it recently released? I don't think I've seen it. I think it I've was released. I want to say it was two or three years ago. Oh, I will have seen it for uh, sure. Yeah. He, he, in essence, to, to sum up, he in essence says, if we stop fishing in one third of the ocean, that one third will become mm. so radiant with life that it will spill over, and we'll have enough fish to feed the world forever. Yeah. But people are so greedy that they can't stop fishing in that one third. Yeah. Wild. There's a very similar example. George Monbois, Mon, uh, French name which I can't quite pronounce. George Monbiot, I think, mm. uh, wrote a book called Feral, and it was talking about fishing off the west coast of Ireland, and they did protect a very small area, and all of the fish stocks around that area grew massively, and then they took a vote to whether they should fish that little area, uh, and they voted to fish it, and it ruined all that, that yeah. great progress for one good yield, um, which, yeah, nobody's yeah. thinking forward enough far yeah. enough yeah and then there is also the bit about uh again i probably won't get this right so if anyone listening don't fact check me properly but i'm 90 percent sure this is what it was on cans of tuna they have dolphin free yeah and in essence what that means is no dolphins have been harmed in the process of making this tuna it turns out that there's no actual way to measure if any dolphins have been killed because nobody's sitting on the boat saying you've just pulled up a dolphin you need mm. to put it back and what they were doing is the only law that they had actually enforced was that you couldn't kayak in a certain area of the ocean because there was dolphins there. And that was the charity. And it was a total facade. The, the hmm. dolphin-free tuna mm-hmm. is a total facade. And it's actually just corrupt charities. Loopholes and, yeah. And that's that's another thing that, that people need to definitely look at is is trying to sort out these kind of like, yeah, loopholes in essence. It's like, like little things that charities can do. So, yeah, you need... Like you said, legislation from the top, yeah. and and we need to be listening to scientists that devote their lives to good causes, like mm. environmental scientists, ecologists, instead of listening to scientists that devote their life to oil companies, yeah. Uh, yeah. and are basically paid to say things. anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did Did but, you see any pollution? Sorry about that. Did Did you see any pollution in the Amazon rain? Yeah, lots. Bad. So the indigenous people are generally really uh, good to the rainforest. They rely on it. They they want to protect it. But they, and I don't want to generalize, but generally what we saw was lit, like massive 
piles of litter in every community, mm. a lot of them anyway, and it's because they've recently got access to plastic and things that don't aren't biodegradable, and they don't have the the waste management to get rid of it. And throughout history, the river has taken away their waste because their waste is biodegradable. Mm-hmm. So now they're just doing the same process, dumping plastic and. Uh, and it's that should also be the responsibility of the big companies that be bring you're bringing products into these places. You need to find a way to also bring all the waste out. Yeah. But that's not happening, and there's plastic everywhere, all along the Amazon. There's plastic in the most remote parts of the ocean. Uh, I was in Diego Garcia in the Indian Ocean uh, when I was in the Marines, Paradise um, Islands, so far away from you know any plastic factories or any it, but they're just covered in, in all sorts so it's it's everywhere it's literally everywhere it's, it's a great point that you just made there about if these like, let's say coca-cola for an example if they're bringing the products in they need to be responsible for getting the products out mm-hmm. and i think that if the world ran like that and you get taxed more if you don't mm. you're damn sure that they find a solution for this yeah. waste and the global warming I wish the, the, the McDonald's are popping up everywhere. There's one near my house, south of Edinburgh. And now there's McDonald's wrappers all over the countryside there. And I don't know if they had some thing that scanned your number plate onto the bag so you could identify. I don't, I don't know how yeah. worthwhile it would be, but yeah. there needs to be more like punishment for... Yeah, for sure. And it, there also needs to be more procedure. I think the world just comes right down to procedure. The procedure in the Amazon rainforest right now is dump it. In, and they, they have no... They, they don't know any better so they yeah. dump it in the river and you know i think that you know when you're when you're really uh, struggling for your next meal i doubt that litter is going to be the first thing on your mind so i i get it like i do get it but these companies need to install the structure in order to get the letter out yeah uh, and and do whatever they need to do with it and it's and it's almost impossible to do that in in the amazon where the only way, unless you build a road, and then that is catastrophic for the rainforest. So there's no, there is no answer for that particular problem really, unless you start packaging, all biodegradable. Mm. Or I don't know how the Peruvian government would be able to have a waste management system for all these very remote communities. It would almost be impossible. But could you catch it in the river? Like, could you? Could the, you net? points of the river to catch it and then you'd probably kill the pink dolphins oh yeah it's like yeah there's it's so complicated but hopefully if education is the best thing i don't know mm. like if everyone's thinking about it more instead of thinking about what they get TikTok. for christmas yeah TikTok, tiktok and instagram yeah. <laughs> there's gonna be solutions because we have done yeah. so many amazing things as humans like and inventions i don't know mm-hmm. think about it more <laughs> <laughs> excitingly enough we actually have a second sponsor today we have the sponsor of chisholm hunter chisholm hunter are a luxury watch and diamond retailer located throughout the uk they have 29 shops they've been family run for over 165 years and that is where i get all my watches and my jewelry. So if you're looking for anything in particular, watches, bracelets, rings, whatever it might be, head to chismhunter.co.uk. That's chismhunter.co.uk. Back to the podcast. There's a really cool thing in terms of altitudes where people can actually get addicted to living in high altitudes and coming back down. 
due to the fact that you're when you're at high altitudes your red blood cells uh, multiply and you become you you have more red blood cells in your body that helps transport oxygen around and people that live at high altitudes have more red blood cells going around when you come back down to a normal level but you still have all those red blood cells going around your body you feel like a superhuman Mm. and i actually felt this i came from peru um to the amazon rainforest and for about two months i felt unbelievable (laughs) like i could run for miles and it was this altitude thing i I didn't realize that at the time but my body had produced so many red blood cells during the high altitude period that i was carrying more oxygen around when i was at the low altitude period and it's this really cool thing that a lot of sports people do they go train at high altitude come back down to low and they feel like a superhuman yeah did you get that at all I didn't really notice that, mm. but I've, I've heard of that, and I've heard they also take blood out of themselves after that, and then they can yeah. re-inject later on. And, Wild. Yeah. Which, yeah. I, I wouldn't do that, but... <laughs> I mean, I'd probably try it. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think we were quite stressed. Like, as soon as we were in the Amazon rainforest, it was like, new job. Uh, all, also, we were leaving civilization behind at that point, and up on the mountains, we were always pretty close to a town or a hospital. Mm. Uh, so I didn't really notice feeling great because we were, we were just kind of working quite hard and stressed and I don't know it was still it was uh, the expedition mode that we were in yeah um, wasn't allowing for uh, no it was allowing for a lot of uh, reflection it was more yeah, onto was, the next thing onto the next thing yeah exactly body yeah. reflection wasn't high well I wasn't thinking about that yeah but it probably did help I mean I'm sure it helped because yeah. we were well, we did pretty well, so yeah, yeah. No, you did amazing. Though. I think it did help help us, you know, throughout throughout that early stage of going down uh, down the the river. But the, yeah, there was other things on our minds. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Listen, I don't want to say bye, but I think I'll yeah. need to. Yeah. Uh, what was your website again? Uh, yeah, www dot summit s u m m i t t o s e a summit to see dot org dot uk org.uk yeah. cool and that's where people can find you they can find about the, uh, the expedition yep uh, they can donate if they would like to donate yeah all that kind of stuff is on that website yeah it's all there social cool. media donations and the blog which i'm currently trying to catch up with is going up uh, at the moment as well yeah so. yeah you start a youtube channel yeah we're on youtube it's just how yeah. to uh get i don't know get people engaged with it up and but running yeah, yeah. The, the all the contents on youtube as well let me know honestly yeah. i'd love to help with that kind of stuff uh, cool. we, we've been doing it for yeah. years so anything that we can help with just honestly drop me a text nice one um, it's well that's something to see so i'll send you the link for that yeah uh see, see what you think that the content is hard because we don't have a dedicated cameraman so mm-hmm. it's all phones and me stitching together like insta 360 things and the the content isn't great but that is what another thing. If we could take out a dedicated cameraman on the way on the it's, way back, it's, it's a lot of it's the journey. I think that have you you ever watched Bald and Bankrupt? Yeah, I have. Did he follow the uh, train? Some of the South American guys trying to get into the states. He yes, followed that journey. Yeah, yeah, he did. He, uh, I'll, I'll finish quick. He yeah. he, uh, in essence, he he does this crazy crazy stuff, and he and he mingles with these people a lot, like what you are doing already. However he documents it on a GoPro. And even with just a GoPro or an Insta360 or, or whatever the camera might be, 
he has, I think it's like 5 million subscribers and that's mm. his living. That's that's how he makes money. Mm. And he just does these crazy expeditions and films it and, and, and shows people uh, and educates people on how other people live within those environments. Yeah. And honestly, I think you'd be great at it. I think honestly, yeah. just pick up GoPro and just show people because mm-hmm. uh, you're there anyway. It's the hard, that is the hard thing is for me, if I have that camera next to me and then I'm, I know that I'm presenting to the camera it's like mm. a sort of um yeah i just need to do it more yeah, yeah. it's it's honestly it's a it's a repetition thing i think yeah it, it's like anything it's like when you first go for a run you're knackered after it but then you next go and you build yeah. yourself up it does get easier as you say you need to you need to do it a lot i think if you do it now and again you always feel awkward yeah for me, i'm probably doing it once a month and it's always just a bit awkward but yeah and then <clears throat> at the moment it's like we don't have much to talk about so i can't continue to i'm not going to blog my recovery journey i just don't i don't know it's that's like maybe i should be doing that but i feel like there's more interest in i don't know I, people get sick of seeing that and then you go back out to the amazon and they're like they're sick of seeing you yeah yeah. No, well, yeah they they would i think if you if you broke down each story in each expedition no matter how small the expedition is uh they would like to see that because I know that I would like to see that. But not only that, it's a good way of you looking back at all the crazy shit you've done and mm. saying that was pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, and actually just from a personal level, looking back on these things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like the blog, I guess I'm, I'm trying to, to write uh, the blog out as, as, as that kind of story. story. The video side of it would be good. But then I've, you know, full-time job as well. It's like, which, where do I prioritize and how, how do I, I, I just don't have the time to like yeah. do that. On expedition, I do have the time. So yeah. certainly need to do more of that. Good. But having a dedicated cameraman would probably be the best. Good. <laughs> just good with trees. Look at you. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, and they're also their experience. They can kind of say, yeah, you know, stop. Yeah. Swing in my seat all the time, like stop swinging, or yeah, you know, yeah, you're, yeah. you're fidgeting or something. That there's lo- there's lots of weight, uh, good things about having somebody that's already in the industry to yeah to help out. But yeah, <laughs> good. Well, listen, thank honestly, thank you so much for coming in. Yeah. Um, really appreciate it, and I'll be seeing you on YouTube real soon. I'm gonna get you vlogging. Yeah, let's try. It. <laughs> Start you on the GoPro. <laughs> yeah. I'll-